Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello, this is Neil Garfield, and welcome. This is Thursday, January 28, 2016. This show is mostly directed at lawyers because it's somewhat technical, uh, but I will try to make it as simple as possible. Uh, My phone and email continue to vibrate as lawyers are getting closer and closer to understanding the actual procedural steps of rescission. Rescission, Let's start with this. Rescission is a specific statutory procedure established by federal law to cancel the loan contract, void the note, and void the mortgage non-judicially with the simple mailing of a letter. In most states, foreclosures can be done without a lawsuit. They are called non-judicial foreclosures. In rescission, canceling the loan contract, the note and mortgage can be done the same way, non-judicially. What is good for the goose is good for the gander. Not that there won't be a lot of fighting about it. Tonight, or for those of you not on the East Coast this afternoon, I will be discussing rescission as simply as I can make it. I keep evolving on the presentation of this to make it more understandable for everyone. You will see this all comes down to attacking standing, legal standing, which is a jurisdictional issue, but from a much stronger position than in ordinary foreclosure litigation. And you're not doing it directly, you're doing it indirectly. So there are issues here that are relatively simple if you keep it simple and you don't get drawn in to arguments from the banks that are meant to basically uh, create a, a diversion so that the judge does not look directly at the statute at the federal regulations, and at the unanimous Supreme Court ruling. If a court lacks jurisdiction to enter a ruling, that means it lacks the power, it lacks the discretion, it lacks the right to rule for the banks when the rescission has been indisputably mailed. There can be no foreclosure as long as the rescission was mailed. When that notice of rescission is mailed, that is when the rescission is effective. And that means that the note and mortgage are void. The trick here is to avoid getting drawn into an argument about 
whether there was something wrong with the rescission. Nobody has a right to raise that unless they have standing. And then it is a question of fact whether they prove that the rescission was defective in some way. Some lawyers get hung up on the issue of how can I say they don't have standing when they have already established it in the foreclosure litigation. The answer, and listen closely, is that there are two separate lawsuits. You have the one that is to foreclose or to oppose the foreclosure, where the note and mortgage are the primary issues. And then you have the one provided in the TILA rescission statute where the note and mortgage no longer exist. And the only issue is whether the rescission was mailed. The banks are trying to pull the wool over the eyes of judges by putting their challenge to the rescission in some form of motion. And that's what I've been helping a number of lawyers across the country deal with. But the banks never plead standing without the note and mortgage that no longer exist. And they never ask for a judgment vacating the rescission, which is the only way they can get rid of it. Imagine what the same judge would say if he entered an order and somebody ignored it because they said it was clearly wrong. That's not the way things work in a nation of laws. The way it works is that if the order is entered, if the rescission is sent, you want to get rid of it, then you have to file an action just like everybody else. Did you ever ask yourselves the question of why the so-called trustee of the so-called Remick Trust is not presenting witnesses or evidence in foreclosures? The answer is that they know the issue of standing will come up and the fact that the trust doesn't own anything and is basically inactive. And they know that the beneficiaries have already been paid part or all of the money that the servicers are demanding. It's an interesting game, but I'm concentrating on rescission today, so I won't get into that part again. Our litigation support team has been drafting the homeowner's motion to dismiss the foreclosure for a lack of subject matter jurisdiction and lack of personal jurisdiction over the foreclosing parties because the foreclosing parties are relying on holding void instruments. Once the rescission is sent, the note and mortgage are void. You can't get relief on a void instrument. There is only one legal way to get rid of something that exists as a matter of law, getting a court of law to vacate the thing that you dispute. The rescission is effective as a matter of law regardless of whether anyone disputes it or not. It does not matter that there may be defects in the rescission, just like it does not matter in many cases whether there are defects in the mortgage or assignments in foreclosure litigation. It exists and it is facially valid, and according to the Truth in Lending Act, federal law, and the Supreme Court of the United States, it is the law of the land that the loan contract is canceled and the note and mortgage are void by operation of law. But I caution again that without recording the rescission in accordance with the laws of your state, you might still have some trouble ahead. A real creditor 
must file a lawsuit alleging facts that support standing. The existence, they have to plead the existence of the rescission and that it is effective. Otherwise, there isn't any controversy and there's nothing to rule on. And they have to plead the ground for asking that the court change the situation by vacating the rescission as defective. What the courts are doing when they don't insist on a pleading, a lawsuit, a counterclaim, is they're pretending that the lawsuit exists and ruling on what they theorize would be the outcome of such a lawsuit because it is obvious to them that the TILA rescission statute is wrong. Well, it may be obvious to them, and that's a very interesting philosophical argument that you can have with your legislators, but right now it's the law. And just like minimum mandatory sentencing, they have to follow it. So they're ruling on the outcome of a non-existent lawsuit from a non-existent party who is actually the real creditor filed by parties not even present in the courtroom where the foreclosure litigation is taking place. Judges need to be challenged and reminded that they have no choice and no jurisdiction here. The lower courts, both state and federal, cannot overrule the Supreme Court of the United States, the United States Congress, or the executive branch of government, all of whom collectively and unanimously state that the loan contract, if it ever existed, is canceled. The note is void and the mortgage is void. The banks are running the clock to get as many foreclosures as possible before the rescission issue is put to bed by the Supreme Court. But this time, I don't think it'll be so many years. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lives blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lives, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lives blog from listeners just like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not contributors, we ask that you call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. If this show has a value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. And if you're looking for active assistance, then call our numbers and schedule a consult, a review, or whatever it is you think you need. You can also get a full on title and securitization through us, along with a commentary on how it applies to your case subject to review of your attorney. Living Lies, with 11 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much free information as we can to help homeowners and other consumers find that in addition to the house or car or TV, they bought a very complicated financial product. And we are succeeding as more and more lawyers across the country smell blood in the water as they realize and understand that there is a winning strategy in both foreclosure defense and rescission. 
there is gold in all of those so-called bank errors and so-called recklessness that I have said from the beginning were completely intentional. I know how they work, how they work. Long ago, I was one of them. Let me remind my listeners that there is nothing that stops a foreclosure except a court order. No letter, no pleading, or anything else will stop the foreclosure from proceeding or stop the forced sale of the property, or for that matter, stop the eviction. In bankruptcy, that order is automatically issued as soon as the bankruptcy is filed. I'm not suggesting that you file bankruptcy if you don't otherwise qualify, because that will certainly annoy the federal court. And the same thing applies to rescissions, except that it is reversed. The court is not allowed, which means it is violating law, to ignore a rescission. The rescission is effective by operation of law, as a matter of law, same as a court order. The court may not rule on foreclosures without going step by step through the TILA rescission statute and procedures. Several attorneys are sending me their motions or opposition to motions directed against the rescission of their clients. My observation is that they have not yet taken the time to actually study the issue and think about what they're doing and the real reason that they are pursuing rescission. The real reason, when it comes down to it, might be not so obvious in the pleadings that you file. The real reason is standing. What you cannot accomplish through the front door, you can definitely accomplish by coming in through a side door. You may not uh, get there at the trial court level, or you might. But I am quite confident that when it gets to the appellate level, you will see judges who chose to ignore the rescission reversed. It isn't enough to summarize your position. You have to go for the jugular on this issue. The fact that judges are not buying into the standing argument in many cases is no impediment to sending the rescission and holding the judge's feet to the fire because he or she has no right to overrule Congress, the executive branch, and the unanimous ruling of the Supreme Court of the United States in Jesenowski versus Countrywide. So I get these motions and memos, but what I see is that even lawyers are having trouble getting their minds around the idea that all that power is in the hands of a, bar of a borrower. Believe it. That is why Radian is offering rescission insurance secretly to the banks in an effort to bolster sales of what I think are still completely empty fraudulent certificates issued by an inactive trust that exists only on paper. The motions and memos are good, but they often miss some key component that should be expressly stated. Let's start off with this. The court may not rule on anything unless the court has jurisdiction. Jurisdiction over the parties, jurisdiction over the subject matter. Rescission is effective as a matter of law on the day it was mailed. U.S. mail, please, and send it certified mail return receipt requested. 
A party may only contest or dispute the rescission if they file a lawsuit seeking to vacate the rescission. The only party that can file such a suit is the actual creditor. That is, the party at the end of the chain to whom the money is allegedly owed. The problem that the banks have and the services is they don't have anyone that answers that description. Crazy as it sounds, it's true. Remember, for eight years, I endured the slings and arrows of people who told me I was wrong about rescission until the Supreme Court unanimously corroborated my view. I'm telling you again that rescission is the thing that levels the playing field. All other parties are barred for lack of standing because an effective rescission voids the note and mortgage. Under 15 U.S.C. 1635, Reg Z, and Jesenowski versus Countrywide. No party in any court can get relief based upon a void instrument. And there's nothing that they can say or do outside of a lawsuit that will make the rescission void. But as soon as the rescission is mailed, then the void instruments are the note and mortgage. They don't exist anymore. The only thing left after rescission is the debt. Hence, only the owner of the debt has standing. Let me repeat that because this is the point that apparently is being missed by many. The only thing left after the notice of rescission has been mailed, the only thing left is the debt, which arises by operation of law. Hence, the only the owner of the debt has standing. And that's the only way a court can have jurisdiction is if that owner of the debt steps up and says, this is my debt, and the borrower has sent a rescission and recorded it, and... The rescission is wrong because, and therefore, I want you, the court, to vacate that rescission. And if the court agrees, they enter an order vacating the rescission, and that's, that's the end of it. We haven't seen any lawsuit at all for decades in which banks filed that lawsuit because of the way, the Mickey Mouse way that they did things with the mortgages, the notes, and the transfers. The banks want the court to presume that they own the debt since they had the paperwork, but the paperwork's gone after a rescission. If the last eight years has taught us anything, we know that the paperwork does not reflect the actual transactions where money exchanged hands. It looks like it does, but it doesn't. The only jurisdiction the court had was based upon the allegations based on the note and mortgage. The rescission removed the note and mortgage as valid instruments as of the date of mailing of the rescission. 
Therefore, unless one or more of the parties allege that they are the owner of the debt and the end of the line and the chain, and then prove it, none of the existing parties would have standing to dispute the rescission, which, as Justice Scalia said on behalf of a unanimous United States Supreme Court, was effective on mailing regardless of whether it was disputed or not. So whether it's disputed or not, whether it's effective or not, it's effective. It's the law. The only relevant statute of limitations at this point is the 20-day window in which the lawsuit disputing the rescission could have been filed. That has expired in nearly all cases, but it doesn't stop the owner of the debt from filing the lawsuit since the statute of limitations is an affirmative defense procedurally, unless it is clear on the face of the complaint and the exhibits that the 20-day uh, window has expired, in which case the homeowner may move to dismiss the challenge to the rescission as untimely. The same logic applies to the rescission itself. If the rescission itself states that the transaction was consummated on a certain date, that starts the clock counting off the three years. But in all events, the rescission is still effective and whether or not the true owner of the debt can step forward and establish standing sued to vacate the rescission is unknown. Although a lawsuit to vacate the rescission is still necessary and the party seeking to void the rescission probably doesn't have standing, it is a tougher road to argue about forcing the other side to file a lawsuit that assuming there is standing, you will lose. Any effort to contest the existence of consummation will be rejected if you have already admitted it. And this is the error that I keep seeing, that in one form or another, pro se litigants and sometimes lawyers admit things that they think are obvious. And that's what the banks want you to do. They want you to assume that some part of these transactions was legal, that some part of these transactions was according to industry standards. None of it is, with the exception of something like 4% of all mortgage loans, which are given by relatively small community or regional banks. So while you definitely have the upper hand if you do not admit consummation and do not admit the date of consummation, you can still stay in the game by demanding that the court not rule on something over which it has no current jurisdiction because the rescission, disputed or not, is effective on the date of mailing. The note is void and the mortgage is void. If the note is void and the mortgage is void and there's no action filed in the form of a counterclaim to vacate the rescission, then the court lacks jurisdiction over anything because their jurisdiction 
was predicated on the allegations concerning the existence and use of the note and mortgage. If the court wants to proceed without the rescission, the court must vacate the rescission. In order to vacate the rescission, there must be a claim filed by a real creditor seeking to vacate it. The current trend that I'm seeing is that judges are either ignoring the TILA rescission or reserving ruling after being given notice, um, and it's incredibly wrong, especially in the light of, uh, of the Jessenowski decision, which said they can't do that. And judges like to think that nobody can tell them what to do, but the Supreme Court of the United States is one body that tells all judges what they can and cannot do. Judges do not have the discretion to ignore federal statute, to ignore federal regulations, and to ignore their boss, the Supreme Court of the United States. So if the court ignores the rescission, it is identical to a layperson ignoring a direct order from the court. There is nothing in the Teela rescission statute or the Jessenowski decision that says courts can either follow the statute or not in their own discretion. Exactly the opposite. Justice Scalia literally laid down the law here and said, judges, you've got to follow the precise wording of the Teela rescission statute. And yet, the judges are choosing to ignore not only the law, but the direct instruction from their boss. If you ask me, I think that that might call for some action against the judges, but uh, I uh, dare not go much further than that in my opinion since I appear in front of some of them. And these stories I'm hearing about judges ignoring rescissions is opening the door for all kinds of repercussions, not only on the judges, but on American jurisprudence generally. Because if the state judges or federal judges at the trial level are allowed to ignore express wording of statutes and express wording of the regulations and express wording of the Supreme Court, then we don't have any finality, we don't have any certainty in any of our jurisprudence, and all bets are off, and we become not a nation of laws, but a nation of men and women. So let me remind you that it is my opinion that rescission should be recorded in the title chain of the property where deeds and mortgages are recorded. Since you are most likely never going to get a voluntary release of the encumbrance, despite the fact that that's what's in the statute, the only thing you can do to create a problem with their title if they illegally or improperly proceed with a foreclosure judgment or sale is to have that in the public records. 
then they are forced to put up or shut up. And they will need to file those lawsuits to vacate the rescission. And when they fail to, that opens the door. And even if they uh, did do it, it still opens the door for the homeowner to file an action to quiet title. Ultimately, nobody was looking for the so-called free house and nobody really, uh, no homeowner is really getting a free house under these strategies because of all the money they put into the house already. The only parties that were getting a free house have been the servicers and the banks in the name of a non-existent trustee, Deutsche Bank of New York, et cetera, U.S. Bank, uh, for a non-existent Thank you, and I'll be back at you next Thursday. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.